Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. So today I thought we might have a talk about one of the goddesses because there's 330 million of them so there's a bit of choice to talk about. I thought today we might talk about the goddess Sati and Sati doesn't get a major sort of airplay really but anyway Sati was Shiva's first wife. So in this mythology Lord Shiva is the god who destroys things as Vishnu maintains things and Brahma creates things and this cycle is going on in all of our lives that things grow and then they dissipate again, they grow and they dissipate. This is seen as a cycle rather than a straight line. Anyway, Sati was the daughter of Daksha and Daksha was one of the sons of Brahma. So Brahma's the creator, Daksha was one of his original children. And Daksha was a king and so Sati was brought up in a royal household. And she was, so she was the princess, you know, a very important person in the land. And she was the Divine Mother and she knew she was the Divine Mother, but her family didn't know she was the Divine Mother. When she grew up, she said, I'm only marrying one man. I don't care how many princes you parade past me. I'm not marrying any of them. And the father kept saying, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? And parading all the different princes from all the neighboring kingdoms. No, I'm not marrying any of them. I'm only marrying Shiva. You can't marry him, says Daksha. He's just, he's useless. He doesn't own any property. Look at his hair. Dreadlocks. Who has dreadlocks in a civilized society? And who wears what he wears? You can't have... A princess married to someone whose wardrobe consists of a loincloth is just not on. So he was very adamant that she was not marrying Shiva. And she said, I'm marrying him. He said, but what about the snakes around his neck? What about the ash that he's got all over his body? Isn't that revolting and disgusting? And she said, no, no, it's Shiva. Anyway, eventually she did marry Lord Shiva, and she went off to live at Mount Kailash. And Shiva and, and Sati were very happy, as you would expect when God marries goddess. Of course, there's going to be a lot of happiness come from that union. However, after some time, the king, Daksha, decided he was going to have the yagam to end all yagams. And, you know, we think it's pretty amazing here when a yagam goes for four hours and we're going, God, it's a long time to be at a yagam. Well, he decided he was going to have one that would go for two weeks, a two-week long yagam. And he invited everyone that was anyone in the kingdom, and he invited all the gods except, guess who? Shiva. No invitation came to Shiva. So Sadi and Shiva didn't even know about this yagam. Well, of course, Shiva did because he's the pillar of consciousness. He knows everything. But Sati found out about this yagam and said, Shiva, there's a yagam on and you haven't been invited. And Shiva's going, just chill, it's okay. Don't worry about it. 
He doesn't want me there and I'm not going where I'm not wanted. I'm very happy here. Just don't worry about it. She's going, how dare he? How dare he not invite my husband? How dare he not invite Shiva to the Yagam? And she's really on a high horse about it. And she was going, really, you should calm down. You really should calm down. It's not a problem. And she's saying, it is a problem. You know, he's, he must be some kind of idiot to not invite you. In the end, she was so outraged and incensed about this that she just took off to her father's kingdom so she could rouse her father and get Shiva invited to the oven. So anyway, she got to her father's kingdom and Julie greeted her father and then said, Father, what is this nonsense about Shiva not being invited to the Yagam? And he, he just said, I am not inviting him. He is a madman. Look at his hair. Look at his loincloth. Look at the ash all over him. I am not having him in with a bunch of nobles. It's just not going to happen. And she said, you are the most ignorant, ridiculous man I've ever met, and I will not be your daughter. And so she throws herself into the yagam and burns herself to death. I know, it's a bit of a hardcore story, this one. <laughs> so Mother Sati jumps into the fire and is then no more. Well, instantly Lord Shiva knows this has happened, and he comes in his Rudra form. He comes as Lord Rudra, howling with rage and with all the goblins and all the ghosts and all the yakshas and all the, all the beings that are from the, like, the hell realm, because he's so angry, and he comes and he destroys the yagam. He destroys everything that's there. The gods run for their lives, and Lord Daksha has the impudence and stupidity to stand there and go, Lord Shiva, you weren't invited. <laughs> and you know what happened? Lord Shiva just went, chopped his head off. No more Daksha. So, so far in this lovely <laughs> scriptural story, fairy tale, it's a fairy tale of delight. <laughs> we have so far two deaths. But anyway, Daksha's killed and then... Daksha's wife is beside herself, and she's always liked Shiva. She's always known that he was God the Father as the pillar of consciousness. She always liked him. And she's saying, you just killed my husband. Like, this is not good, Shiva. You know, you are God. You can't go around killing people's husbands, even if they do make mistakes. He says, fine then. And he gets the head of a goat, and he puts it on Daksha, and he brings him back to life with a goat's head. Bit tragic. But it does have elements of the story of when we've talked about Lord Ganesha being told to, to mind. Pavati was at home by herself. Shiva was out hunting. Ganesha is formed because she just forms Ganesha out of some skin. It's come off, you know, 17% of her body came off and she <laughs> turned it into Ganesh. And, um, and so then what happens is, of course, then there's a big battle between <coughs> Shiva and Ganesh because he wants to come home and Ganesh won't let him in the door. And so similar story, chop, but this time it's an elephant's head. So let's just compare the heads for a moment and let's look at what this story's all about. So Daksha has to do with the kingdom of the mind. So Daksha as a king was a king of a world of his consciousness was a human mind consciousness. So sati comes from the word sat, and sat means truth.
It means what is. It really could be interpreted as isness. Sat is isness, the is of this situation. So the is of that situation was that here she is, married to God, knowing herself as God, and with her father, who's a dope, right, who's insulted her husband. So what this shows us is the imperfection of what it is that a mind-born anything creates. A human mind-born anything is always going to have imperfection built in. It's just the way life. And the head of the goat, the goat is supposed to be silly. It's a silly animal. Like goats are silly, whereas elephants are wise, do you see? So Daksha gets a silly animal's head, whereas Ganesha got a wise animal's head because he connected with God, whereas Daksha stayed in the realm of human consciousness. Do you see? So he was given life again, but only with the human consciousness. That's what it all is talking about. So Sati, who's the isness, the Divine Mother as is, was not happy with what the mind had created because it wasn't perfect. So she takes her Shakti out of that situation so that it's destroyed. And then she can come back as Parvati and she comes back into a different family this time her father is the Himalayas, Himavan. So she's born of the Himalayas. And as we've been looking at Gomata, the ones I gave you photos of yesterday, the feet of Gomata equal the mountains. So the, the Himalayas are Gomata, like they're her feet. And all the other, they're her front feet and all the other mountains are her back feet. And so this time Parvati was being born of Gormata through Himavan, do you see? And she was born into a situation where again she's in a royal family, but her parents did tapas, uh, spiritual practices generating a lot of heat, a lot of transformation. They did that for years and years and years to have the Divine Mother come as their daughter. And so she did, and she was a much loved daughter of a wise father, Himavan, and a beautiful mother. But even this time her mother was freaked out the first time Shiva came. And there's a whole long story about how Parvati ended up wooing Shiva. And I don't want to go into all that because it's very long. But after he agreed that he would marry her, she said, okay, you've got to come home and meet mum and dad. And she said, and I don't want you coming as Rudra. And she didn't want to be <laughs> terrified her mother. And he said, no, 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 I'll come as... You just, I'll come as Sundara. Sundara means beautiful one. The most gorgeous, strapping, <laughs> handsome, bejeweled, glorious. Did I say glorious? Bejeweled. I said that too. But you get the picture, don't you? Like a, like a prince among men. And so he's walking towards the house with a big retinue of beings who all look like courtiers and princes. And then he catches Sati's eye and laughs at her and turns himself and all of them into ghouls and goblins and, and himself into Rudra. <laughs> and the mother freaks out and says, you're not going to marry him. And, and uh, Pavati says, well, I am actually. And she says, you be Sundara, Sundara again. And he says, oh, all right. And he turns back into Sundara and she goes, oh, thank God. And uh, the mother's happy. They have their wedding and off they go to the mountains. And it's a perfect union. 
and it's a perfect union that gives rise to the play of creation and it gives rise to Ganesha, who we've already looked at in terms of the mythology of Ganesha, and also Katakaya. Katakaya is another very interesting uh, manifestation of the divine. When you go into the big Narayani temple and you're looking, if you're looking, there's, there's the deity. On this side is Ganesha and on this side is Katakaya. And they're both sons of Shiva and Parvati. So Ganesha was only made of flesh until such time as Shiva locked his head off and put a divine head on him and then he became a divine being and he's the one who guards Shakti all the time. So he's the one we first pray to because he's the first god that Shakti sees as she starts rising up, you see? So he's very special. But when Shiva and Parvati are, you know, married and living at Mount Kailash in the Himalayas and they, they just get off on meditation and all this sort of stuff and if they decide to make love, they make love for 20,000 years without stopping, stuff like that, you know, your average everyday marriage really. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Anyway, a very joyful union and they are able to just bilocate to wherever they want to be and be with the sages and the saints and bless them and there are countless stories of the lives of Shiva and Parvati and there's whole scriptures that are dedicated to Parvati asking Lord Shiva about the play of creation and him answering her and those answers are a whole lot of scriptures so it's really sweet stuff but the difference between the first time and the second time is the first time it wasn't really perfect because there was respect lack, lacking in respect. You know, it was, the isness was there, hence the sat. But the truth is, however you perceive it, truth is only a relative term. So there's absolute truth, I suppose, that that's the purusha, it's what's beyond any form, it's beyond our capacity to think. It's just the isness of everything put together. Then there's our personal lives. And our personal lives have a certain truth to them. But the thing is that uh, because we basically have made all that up ourselves, because of how our cultural conditioning and what our parents have taught us, there comes a time in most people's lives where that's going to be challenged, where there'll be a challenge to your truth and a challenge to who you think you are, a challenge to what you think is right. And you'll go through a whole lot of changes in your consciousness through which much of what you used to be will be destroyed and something else will be in its place. So in my own life, you know, used to be a practicing lawyer for many, many years. That life was destroyed because of my interest in spirituality and, you know, my passion and yearning for the divine experience and sharing the healing arts with people. So everything comes at a cost of something else. And so the sat, what sat are you going to inhabit? What are you going to put your energy into? That becomes your truth. Whatever you feed becomes your truth. And there comes a time where it's just better to chuck it on the fire because it brings you pain. And so that won't be the ultimate truth. That'll be a relative truth. And then when the cycle comes round again, it'll be a heavenly truth, a more heavenly truth. And that's the way the cycles work. Creation, maintain, destroy. Create, maintain, destroy. And it's cycles. And these cycles are everlasting cycles. So they're very sweet stories kind of explaining the way that nature operates, the way the divine operates, and the, and the story of our own incarnations as well. You know, we all, we all suffer from loss. 
we all suffer from deaths of different kinds. It can be physical deaths of some people's incarnations are all about all their relatives die and all their friends die and they just have death, 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 death. That's some people's life. Other people have the end of projects or the end of how you thought something was going to happen. And knowing how to surrender that which needs to go into the fire is one of the spiritual arts that we can cultivate. It's really helped here because you get very clear about what's okay and what's not okay. You get very inspired about what's possible at a place like this. So before I finish with all this, let's come to the child that this perfected union have called Kartikaya. After making love for 20,000 years, Shiva and Parvati were interrupted by Lord Vishnu, um, who came knocking on the door. And so Shiva jumped up to answer the door and he ejaculated. And this was so hot that the air couldn't catch it because the air was catching fire. And said, oh, put it in the gut, put it, give it to Lord Agni, he's the god of fire. He'll know what to do with it because if it hit the ground, they thought, oh my God, it's gonna destroy creation. Everything's gonna get totally destroyed. So then Lord Agni, Go catch, just like at the Goshala the other day. You know, catch. And, um, and then he's going, oh my God, it's burning me. I'm the god of fire and it's burning me. I'm chucking it in the Ganga. So he throws it in the Ganga and then the Ganga goes, oh, it's too hot, it's too hot, and throws it up on the reeds at the side of the Ganga where seven mothers, seven goddesses, divide this between themselves and jointly give birth to a god called Kartikaya, which means seven mothers. And so that's how <laughs> Ganesha's brother comes into the world. It's fairly complex, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's how it happens. And so um, Kartikaya then uh, grows up uh, with Ganesha and he's a valiant warrior. In this part of the world, he's called Morrigan. But what the seven mothers represent is our seven chakras. And what's really happening is it's a story of the awakening of our seven chakras. Each mother is a chakra. And that when all seven chakras become awakened, that's what Kartikaya is. He's an awakened seven chakras operating at full volume warrior who can overcome any limitation and obstacle, even things that the other gods can't fix, Kartikaya can, you know? And so Sat, the reality that is there, they go, hang on a minute, that's not perfection, let's renovate that, let's change that. And they send in someone like Kartikaya to fix it up. In other scriptures they send in Vishnu, in other scriptures they send in Ganesh, in other scriptures they send in Durga, but right now we're talking about Kartikaya. And so he fixes stuff. And this is all teaching stories of how when our chakras become illumined, the world that we thought we lived in is destroyed as a new world takes its place. The world in which you experienced disrespect, where you weren't accepted, where you didn't feel like you belonged, where you felt something's not right, is destroyed to give birth to this world where you feel so loved and so valued and so appreciated. And that this gives birth to everything that's beautiful and auspicious. And that it's not that when we have all the beautiful and auspicious things, we're gonna feel valued and we're gonna feel like we're enough. It's because we feel like we're enough and we feel valued and we feel loved that the gates open to the heavenly kingdoms. That's the way it kind of works. So there's no point waiting to feel good when everything's right. It's about feeling right so that you can create that everything's good. What do you reckon? Yeah.
Don't you love these stories? They are so cool, these stories. And they're always humorous, they're always human, they're always magical, and we learn so much from them about the nature of reality. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. 